Hey everyone, welcome to At The Letters, brought to you by Miller Lite, the original light beer. Ben Nicholson-Smith here with you in Toronto, Arden Zwelling in Chicago. We got a lot to get to. Since we last recorded Arden, the Jays have lost two consecutive series. And it's also exposed some of the issues that this club is facing, you know, notably with their pitching staff. So they're still in a playoff position. But as we discuss this right now on Thursday, June 23rd, their grip on that playoff spot is starting to weaken a little bit. And the distance between them and the Yankees is only growing since we last spoke. Yeah, I'd like to think that it's still too early to even think about standings, right? And to even think about playoff scenarios. It is just kind of fun watching the Yankees put together this insane season and kind of working out like what the rest of their season could look like. Like I was looking at it the other day and if the Yankees play like a game below 500 the rest of the way, they'll still win 97 times, (laughs) which is absurd. So I I think the Yankees are probably going to be in the playoffs but uh you know we'll see crazy things happen in baseball as far as the blue jays go like it's interesting these last two series right against the yankees and white Sox, because you can kind of do the optimist pessimist thing right like if you're a pessimist you say like yeah wow you know you drop four of six and like pretty you know terrible turn through the rotation and the bullpen is getting exposed and taxed and things aren't going well but then you could also do the optimist thing and say like look they drop the first two games of each of those series and then get up off the mat with pretty inspired efforts in the third games there and you think about the third game of the yankees series where the blue jays go down huge early and could have easily just rolled over and said yep i mean that is the best team in baseball and they are you know absolutely hot as the sun right now and like let's just get this game over and get them out of town and the blue jays come back miraculously and win that game 10 to 9 and then the third game of the White Sox series as well which they just played here on Wednesday it's Thursday June 23rd today but they played it yesterday on Wednesday and like that was like again have been a pretty easy game to roll over in because the night prior you play for four and a half hours in 37 degree heat and you're playing extra innings and you lose dispiritingly had the lead in the ninth and Jordan Amano blows the save and then you had opportunities and extras he couldn't come through and it was just an emotionally physically mentally draining game for everyone involved and the game ends at like 11.30 local, and you got to be back the next day to play at 1.10 p.m., and it would have been so easy to just come out, have no energy, lackluster effort, like no momentum with you, and just kind of roll over, not to mention the umpiring, by the way, and the Blue Jays show up, and they come out, and the bats are there, and they win 9-5, to five. so there are different ways to look at this stretch, but I suppose in, in the end, it is four losses out of six games, which is not what you want. Yeah, it's not. And and look, I mean, the Yankees are a great team, maybe a historically great team. And the White Sox are a good team. So you're not going to win every single series. Like you're not going to just go wire to wire and destroy the competition. So that's part of baseball. It's part of a baseball season. I guess at the same time, you know, you look at just the gap between the Yankees and Blue Jays in that series. And you don't like to see that if you're the Jays. Like it was pretty clear especially just the the bullpen arms is really what stands out to me. The quality 
that you see in New York versus Toronto. It's pretty striking, the contrast. And then some of the pitching issues. So, you know, on the in the rotation, I mean, with Kikuchi continuing to struggle, you know, thank goodness for Ross Stripling, who we've talked about at length on this podcast, but he's someone who's really stepped up. But all of a sudden, you go from, you know, last time we're recording this, and it's like, all right, if they go into the series against the Yankees, can they make a dent in that divisional lead? Can they really start to put some pressure on? And the answer ultimately was no. And now you look at the standings and, you know, they're still ahead. Like they're still in that wildcard spot, but the Rays are only two games away. So literally two days from now, the Rays could have overtaken the Jays. They have that chance to overtake the Jays. Then all of a sudden you're trying to get in, which that is not good. I mean, this team needs to be in the playoffs at the end of this year. No, absolutely. Very likely for Charlie Montoya's job. <laughs> this team needs to be in the playoffs. Yeah, I, I, I just, I'm just i just not looking at the standings yet. <laughs> I'm just not looking at the playoffs, man, right now here on June 23rd. It's just still too early for me. I've seen too many baseball seasons. Um, but, you know, the, you mentioned the pitching over the last little bit. Like, it really was a disastrous turn of the rotation. Like, it started with that Gosman outing in Baltimore when Kevin Gosman was not Kevin Gosman at all. And like something I think a lot of people didn't know is that he was really sick that day. Like he woke up with like a really bad virus. He was getting intravenous fluids in the morning. Like there was like doubt as to whether he was going to take the mound at all because like he was really, really sick. You know, he went out there and like gutted it out. But like when he's talking after the game about, yeah, like I just had this strange lack of energy it's like yeah because you were like really really ill dude that's why it started there and then in the new york series they had what stripling in the opener i guess he was fine but was okay. the yankees gave him some yeah right like the yankees gave him some battles uh and he was up against his pitch count pretty early because still sort of getting stretched out and the blue jays obviously don't really trust him a third time through the order he was not facing aaron judge a third time in that game yeah, right. So he got some tough battles, a couple walks, you know, and, and all of a sudden, like, you're looking at Judge coming back up a third time and you have to kind of make a decision there. So that wasn't a deep outing. Alec Manoa had what, by his standards, is a bad outing, which, like, is a pretty fine outing for most MLP starting pitchers. But by his standards, is a bad outing against the Yankees there. And then, yeah, Kikuchi had a, a tough one. And then Jose Barrios, like, just had this huge setback against the White Sox in the opener of the Chicago series. Like, that's five straight starts where pitchers aren't getting like into the sixth in a lot of cases aren't getting out of the fourth the rotation over those five games through 19 and a third innings and had like a 9-3 era that just put a ton of weight on the bullpen a ton of heavy lifting for a bullpen group that even before then like needed reinforcements and then you know now after that, like very clearly needs to be addressed pronto. Trevor Richards hits the IL and you got like Tim Mazes going four out of five, you know, coming off the IL with inflammation. Jordan Romano's velocity has been up and down. Adam Simber is like carrying a heavy load and not missing a ton of bats as he doesn't. Jimmy Garcia on Wednesday was completely unavailable because he had, uh, he's dealing with what the Bougies called left side discomfort so that's an issue like julian merriweather's on the il as we know nate pearson comes out of an outing with buffalo i mean when it rains it pours man so uh you look at why the blue jays have been losing lately it really is their pitching yeah 100 percent. and i think when you look forward that's the biggest concern on this team because you know as you say 
it's not only that the performance hasn't been good, but then you look at where the reinforcements might come from, you know, coming up on three months into this season. Nate Pearson has not pitched an inning for this team. You know, Julian Merriweather has barely factored at all. So those could have been the guys who would have been that high impact, high strikeout, high whiff rate. And they're just not. They're just not factors. So you end up turning to guys like Trent Thornton way more often than expected. And he's actually done a good job. Um, But like you say, there's this whole kind of trickle down effect. And, you know, Trevor Richards and Adam Simber, when they were acquired a year ago this time, they were pretty good right away. And they gave this team some really good innings. But Richards, I mean, even before the injury, he was losing effectiveness. You know, if I'm the Blue Jays, whenever he comes back, he's pitching in low leverage. That's not a guy to me that belongs in high leverage anytime soon. So he's not even part of the solution either. He's part of your, you're down 4-1, you go to Trevor Richards. Simber, of course, is a bit more trusted. And Jimmy Garcia, when healthy, has actually been very good. But they essentially have two trusted relievers, maybe three with Meza now. But Meza, Jimmy Garcia, and Romano are really the only guys that you would trust in a big leverage spot. You would trust David Phelps, I think, but he's also been giving up runs a little bit lately. Velo's been ticking up for him. It's kind of interesting. His stuff is like really ticked up lately, but he's also been giving up runs. But I think he feels like really positive with like where his stuff is right now. I think he's just kind of missed on a couple of curveballs. And in an interesting way, his curveball has actually ticked up a little too much. There's been a little sacrifice in command and he's kind of gotten hurt by that a little bit i think he'll come out of that and i think that's a guy that you can trust matt gage is very quickly earning more trust i had somebody with the blue jays say to me after what gage did on wednesday which was like those two extra innings that he threw pitch on a back-to-back 29 pitches like almost got out of that 12th one strike from getting out of that 12th inning against the white Sox. i had some blue jays tell me like he showed us something there and like that Matt Gage earned trust with that outing. Like he was not scared in that spot and he gave the Blue Jays what they needed. So it's kind of interesting. Matt Gage is low key pitching himself into leverage spots right now, which is a 29 year old rookie who was in independent ball two years ago, you know, and then started the year with, with the Bisons, right? Minor league deal. Like that's where this bullpen's at right now. Do you know who leads the Blue Jays bullpen this month, June, in both appearances and innings pitched? I would guess Trent Thornton. Trent Thornton. Yeah. <laughs> That's the guy, right? Yeah. Like it's it's that it's incredible. That says it all about where this Blue Jays bullpen is right now. Like it's so clearly needs reinforcements and like like you're well plugged in. You know that like it's it's hard to make trades right now. Like there's not a lot out there. There's it's not like the Blue Jays are the only team that needs relievers. There's a lot of teams that would love to trade for a reliever right now and you're not seeing any teams trade for relievers right now. Simber happened last year on June 29th, which was like early and you also have to factor in the fact that this season started a week late, a week later than last season's. So like June 29th isn't really June 29th. Yeah. This year, I mean, I I, I looked to the waiver wire. Like, I looked at the fact that, like, Sergio Romo is on the waiver wire, that uh, Rowanus Elias is on the waiver wire. Like, both those guys DFA'd by Seattle. If I'm the Blue Jays, I'm, I'm calling the Mariners and seeing if there's something that we can work out there. Like, Romo's having a really hard time keeping the ball in the yard this year, but we know that home runs are pretty severely impacted by luck. So there's there's reason to believe that maybe he's just been unlucky and maybe his numbers don't really reflect how well he's pitched. And it was like just last season that he had the lowest hard hit rate 
among MLB relievers, and he's still getting a ton of chase this year. Like what he does is still effective. There's reason to believe you can still get it done. Elias is like a really interesting guy to me like cuban lefty um he's got like a really interesting sort of fastball curveball combo he's got a change up that gets a ton of whiffs like his numbers this year actually like pretty sound honestly it's like a 2-8 expected era wow you know the the mariners i think were just kind of up against it with their roster with activating ken giles with the the new pitcher limit which you know is changing things roster construction wise for a lot of mlb clubs like those optionable relievers are like so much more valuable now with the pitcher limit and Elias doesn't have the options but that's a guy that if I'm the blue jays i'm i'm really looking at because like he's younger than romo and he's been a lot more effective this year so i'd be looking at those two guys immediately i think that's what you can do at this time of year realistically like you know you look back and deals like the joaquin benoit the jason Grilly. i mean those deals ended up kind of working out for the jays but when they acquired those guys i want to say in 2016 like they had like six eras i think that's what's on the table right now you know even trevor richards when the jays acquired him it wasn't like it was some huge acquisition right simber same thing so you know, I think realistically, if they're going to make an addition right now, it's not going to be like David Bednar, because what do the Pirates want for David Bednar right now? They probably want Gabriel Moreno, you know, like they probably want a huge return. You know, I'm kind of exaggerating there, but they would want a top prospect as they should. So if you're the Blue Jays, are you really going to do that? You know, you're going to give up your top, top prospect for a reliever. There's a case to be made, maybe, that you trade Groshans for someone who can really help this bullpen, but that's not a decision you're going to make lightly. And certainly the team on the other end is going to have to get a premium back because otherwise play it out, see who can overwhelm you, see who can get really desperate in the course of the next five or six weeks, because then you've got an even better situation for your team because there are more buyers in this environment with more playoff berths. And so the few teams that are definitive sellers And the few players that are actually good on those definitive sellers, like they're going to be in demand. And I'm sure you've done the same thing, Arden. Obviously you have. But, you know, when I look around at the rosters of the non-contending teams, I just don't see a lot of good pitching. I don't see a lot of pitching that is impact, solution, plug that guy in for the Toronto Blue Jays and your problems are solved. Well, those two things are connected aren't they that's why those aren't very yeah, good teams no doubt <laughs> they have a ton of good pitching you look at like that orioles bullpen right and you think wow there's a lot of you know really good arms in there but the orioles are also trying to come out of something right so you know unless it's somebody who's on an expiring deal like who's going to be a free agent the, the orioles are like we might want to hang on to some of these relievers because we think we're actually going to start being good pretty soon so it's not as easy as it may look um you know but the the problem for the blue jays like is you look internally and the options just are not there like nate pearson was a guy who i think was being counted on to help address this bullpen and he comes out of that outing with a shoulder issue and he's now back on major league il so he's off of his his rehab assignment and it's I don't think you're going to see him pitching anytime soon. It's so unfortunate for him. Like it's almost a loss of words. Like what to even say about Nate Pearson at this point that these things, that this keeps happening, that he's staring down the barrel of another 
lost season at the very least like a lost half to 60 70 percent of a season it's unbelievable man what this guy's career has been like and, and how often this has happened for him but like the blue jays were clearly building him up as like a two inning reliever type right and to bring that swing and miss to the bullpen and be that impact arm that they so desperately need well okay that's off the table now so you kind of go to like triple a buffalo and look at what's there and it's not a lot. Agent Hernandez is a, a name that comes up a lot, and he's going to get his opportunity yes. this season. I promise you, like he is going to get his opportunity. And look, his changeup plays, like there's no doubt about it. His changeup profiles is like a very legitimate big league weapon. I think the concern with Hernandez is that his fastball does not profile as an above average major league weapon and the blue jays have done a lot of work with him over the last couple of years to get some more juice behind his fastball because hernandez is not like a big guy he's like a pretty slight individual on the mound and he is generating as much force as he can with it but even with adding a couple ticks of elo to his fastball we're still talking like 91 right so your command your location better be really really good with that fastball at the big league level otherwise it's going to get hammered like we see jeremy beasley come up here with like 95 96 and that's been getting hammered right so yeah you know with hernandez like to make that change up as effective as it can be he needs the fastball off of it you can't only throw change ups so yeah i think that's probably the concern with him right now is just whether that fastball would get exposed at the big league level i think we're going to find out i think his opportunity is coming but when you look at hernandez's numbers and why he's not in the big leagues i think that is the impediment exactly and we saw it this weekend with max castillo when the blue jays promote him and again a deserved promotion he'll continue getting shots but faces one batter dinger faces another batter dinger like that's how quick it can happen mm -hmm. and these are guys who are getting results in AAA. so it is a different challenge in the major leagues and to me like when you're facing the royals and the marlins and the orioles like maybe that's a great time for max castillo and those games count they count and you need to not only clinch a playoff spot which is not an absolute certainty anymore but you need to preferably have home field for that wild card series because that's all three games and that's a big advantage over the visiting team so you want to put yourself in a good position you need to bank those wins but more to the point when you look at this team we're four years in now to vlad jr and Bo as major leaguers right and that's seven that they have in toronto with the blue jays and you know barring an extension so we're getting to the point that we're halfway through the tenure that these guys have as toronto blue jays before free agency you're not doing this just to sneak into the playoffs you need to actually get somewhere because you know we're again we're four years in this is the time when you have a great roster you have springer in his prime you have gosman in his prime this is the time to actually advance and to advance you need some more quality arms that are going to get you through the middle of the Houston Astros order when Kyle Tucker and Jordan Alvarez are coming up but Mays has already pitched in you know three of three or you you know you have to make your way through that who's the lefty who, like you're not going to Trevor Richards in that situation so who is it for the Yankees right let's say you need to get through four innings of a ALDS game and you know you're down two games to one in that series who are you going to ahead of Jordan Romano? They need to make trades. They will make trades, but they're going to have to hit on those trades. Near term, right? Because I think the trades absolutely are on the table long term um, and, yeah. and medium term, but I don't know that there's anything there near term. So like near term, honestly, I'm looking at Romo and, and Elias from the Mariners. And Agreed. I'm like, I'm making an offer for those guys right now so that somebody else doesn't pluck them off waivers. Like I'm trading 
a prospect sure. for those guys. Is do you see another solution or do you see another way to to address things right now? Honestly, I think that like the type of scenario that you're outlining there makes sense that's what history tells us the jays can do and literally that exact scenario makes sense so i think that's what you can do this time of year and otherwise you do the diligence you try to find out who out there could be available and you just stay really prepared to to make those offers in a few weeks time but for now i think you have to patch it together yeah that's pretty, it's it's like you're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place right now if you're the Blue Jays, right? Yeah. And the schedule's not helping, right? Blue Jays playing 37 and 38. They got an off day here today. They need it. Like I was in that clubhouse on on Wednesday. Like it, it was tough, man. Like you know, they're ready for for this off day. I'm ready <laughs> for this off day, and I've only <laughs> been on the first three days of this trip. I haven't been, uh, you know, at every game of of this 37 38 stretch. But like, ain't getting any easier leading into the All Star break. You look at that Tampa series over Canada Day weekend. The Blue Jays going to f- play oh. five games against that Tampa team that you're just talking about in the span of 72 hours. Ben, yeah, think about it. Thursday, seven o'clock. Friday, three o'clock, Saturday, doubleheader, Sunday, one o'clock. Oh, man. Five games in 72 hours against that team that you were battling for those for that wild card spot with. It's going to be wild. You have a beleaguered bullpen right now and, you know, starters who have been inconsistent of late. We're both working that series. So, you know, we'll be down at the ballpark for basically, you know, that entire weekend nonstop. We're not going to leave, um, but should be fun. Should be a good series. I mean, fun might be uh, reaching a little bit for the Jays, at least, because playing that Rays team is a challenge at all times. But it'll be entertaining as it has been all season. So Arden, before we wrap this first segment here, I do want to just touch on Yusei Kikuchi as we're as we're wrapping up this pitching discussion here. You know, he has really faltered. He is not looking good. The command is not there. He's walking too many hitters. I actually thought he pitched worse than his line indicated on Sunday because Alejandro Kirk bailed him out with a couple great throws. I was very underwhelmed. What do you make of this? I don't know what to say differently than what I would have said. Like, play the tape back from a month ago. Throw your fastball, right? Like, I don't understand the timidness to throw the 97-mile-an-hour heater from the left side. It's a good pitch. I don't understand it. And we've seen also, like, the first inning speed problems for him basically the entire season. Like, he's had slow starts, and earlier this year he overcame them a lot and he papered over a lot of those issues by like coming back in the second third and fourth and having made an adjustment that's it's a dangerous game to play particularly against some of these lineups that you're going to be facing so yeah i don't have the solutions i mean the the project you know the tinkering the the work is still ongoing the Blue Jays didn't haven't had the benefit of a full off season with them to work on some of that stuff. They had a condensed spring training. And, you know, obviously he came in during spring training, so there should be a little bit of leeway here for for him to continue making these refinements and adjustments. But like you can go back to his days of Seattle, he's trying to make adjustments there too. It's a little bit confounding because like the stuff is obviously there, and you can obviously see what the Blue Jays see in you say Kikuchi. It's just been really difficult for him to put it all together. Yeah, you got to think better things are ahead because like you said, the stuff uh, is there. So that's something to work with. When we come back on At The Letters, we'll talk about the offense where there's probably some more uh, positive news and positive storylines. So looking forward to diving into that when we return on ATL.
Welcome back to At The Letters presented by Miller Lite, the original light beer. It is now time for Keeping It Light. And Arden, let's turn our attention here to some underappreciated storylines or realities with this Toronto Blue Jays team. We talk so much about Vladdy, about Bo, about Manoa, even Alejandro Kirk. You know, what's what's something on this team that you think maybe doesn't get quite as much recognition when you think about how significant it is to this ball club? Honestly, for me, and it stuck out so much this week in Chicago, it's Matt Chapman's defense at third base. Like when I was watching him just steal outs and get pitchers out of innings, um, Ross Stripling on Wednesday, Chapman starts two like really, really nice double plays to help him out of innings. One of them, I think was in the first that was like really good with uh, some fast runners on the base pass. And then also Kevin Gosman the night before, who just had traffic all night and Matt Chavin's just like making play after play at one play where he, he came in on the runner on third and he came in on the ball, caught the runner at home and just like such a just crisp, perfect, like flawless throw. I can't tell you how many times we've seen third baseman in those moments. It speeds up on them and they panic a little bit and the throw is wide and it puts their catcher in a terrible position and chapman was just like on point and direct like everything that he does is just so consistent and so crisp and clean that it does get overlooked right because you just come to expect it but it's every day and i think you know years of like watching travis shaw and uh you know brandon drury Richard Urania, right? The Bravik Valera, like all of the third basemen that cycled through at that position when the Blue Jays went that span between Josh Donaldson and and now of not having a consistent everyday third baseman. After all that, I really do think we need to make note of just what a sound defender Matt Chapman is at third and really what a treat it is to get to watch him do his thing at third every day. Yeah, great athlete, very polished, very consistent. He's been as good as advertised. For me, you know, in discussing kind of underappreciated or maybe underdiscussed aspects, I'm going to kind of combine the young core on this team because we talk about of course, you know, these guys as individuals and and how much promise they have. But when I look at the ages in the baseball reference page, I see Moreno, Bo, Vlad, Kirk, Manoa, all these guys, every one of them is 24 years of age or younger. And, you know, you've made the point before, Arden, Adley Rushman just called up super exciting prospect on the Baltimore Orioles, the future of the franchise, and he's 24 years old. And all of these guys are 24 or younger, and they're producing. I mean, Kirk will be an all-star. He's the best hitter on this team, has been, I should say. He has been the best hitter on this team. Flat Jr. is the best hitter, but Kirk has been that and still projects as an excellent hitter. I mean, Bo, Vlad, these are cornerstone core pieces of this team, and they're just so young. So I think that we know it, we're all aware of it, but it almost gets lost sometimes because we take these guys for granted after what they've done at this level. It's funny because he's like 27 years old, so it's hard to sort him in there. But Santiago Espinal as well is sneakily a part of like this team's core right now. A guy who came into the year in a platoon role at second base with Kevin Biggio. Like, how much playing time is he going to see? Is he going to be a big leaguer all year? And here he is as like a totally sound everyday 
regular, like league average bat, really strong defense, great plate approach. I thought it was so impressive that after he was like repeatedly hosed by Doug Eddings on Tuesday on pitches off the plate away, like just over and over and over again, like he comes back on Wednesday's day game leads off the game because George Springer's out of the lineup draws a walk and the final pitch of that walk is Lucas Giolito change up just off the plate away it's one of those pitches that he got absolutely gaslit on <laughs> the prior night and he took it and he stayed with his approach he didn't expand he didn't say oh this pitch has been called a strike against me reliably recently i'm gonna go after it he took it and took his walk man that was like just such a tone setting thing from santiago espinal in, in that game on wednesday and then what do you know alejandro kirk ends up driving him in with with the game's opening run a few batters later so kirk a guy who as well doug eddings like did wrong on tuesday so i i santiago Espinal is another guy who i think we probably i i know i've gone twice now <laughs> keeping it late yeah. that's another guy who, who has just arrived as a everyday regular and, and we probably don't talk about it enough well that's the thing with good teams and the blue jays for all of their questions and and issues and concerns they are a very good team and good teams are going to have good storylines and, and underappreciated people stepping up and espinal is definitely one of those but you know arden you mentioned that game and let's touch on that because not only was the strike zone awful and you know that's gonna happen you play 162 games these umpires like they have a tough job some of them are great at it some of them are less than great or have off nights or both and you end up with what we saw with doug eddings and the Jays and the White Sox, but also a storyline that continued into the next day because Guillermo Martinez comes out with the lineup card. And to me, like, you know, we see Gil Kim go out there, John Schneider, Charlie Montoyo at times. I don't see Guillermo go out there a ton. To me, he had some words that he wanted to convey to that umpiring crew. And he probably knew in that moment that there was a decent chance he was going to get tossed. So I don't think Guillermo went out there to get tossed. Like, I don't think this was like a purposeful thing where he said like i'm gonna go out here and i'm gonna get run from this game before it even begins like i think Keo martinez wants to be in the dugout and wants to be contributing and i think that that's the best thing that he can do to help the blue jays win is to be a coach in the dugout but i also think he had some things to say to doug eddings in that meeting <laughs> at the plate before the game from my understanding of it he, he was actually quite calm and quite measured and basically went in there and shook everybody's hand and then looked Doug Eddings in the eye and said, you missed 26 calls last night. That's unacceptable. <laughs> and when he said that to him, uh, it was Lance Barrett who was beside him immediately ran him. And that's when I think she decided, all right, I'm going to get my money's worth now. I've just been thrown out of a game that hasn't even begun yet. Now I'm going to let Doug Eddings hear. Right. But I think initially he came quite politely and just said, you missed 26 calls last night. That's unacceptable. Well, <laughs> and look, if Lance Barrett doesn't run him, nobody even knows that those words were exchanged. Right. Right. And honestly, like Doug Eddings performance on Tuesday was horrific. It was so, it was so below what the standard of an MLB umpire should be like he just and it was both ways both teams were absolutely livid with him it was incredible that Blue Jays hitters stayed in that game and controlled their emotions through that really and didn't get tossed Pete Walker did end up getting tossed in, in extras and that's too bad because you never want your pitching coach off the bench like that is a guy who is like helping 
pitchers make adjustments in between innings and who is really valuable mm -hmm. in extra innings along with you know your bench coach and john schneider some you know your tactical decision makers like those are people who you want on your bench in extra innings because like there are important bullpen decisions being made here there are important tactical decisions being made here like it's honestly like it's something i've been critical of in the past is i think he's a little reticent sometimes to go get himself run it's like my oldest school take right <laughs> you know it's like my yeah. you know most 1960s baseball take and it's probably one of the only super old school takes that i have but i really do think there are spots where a manager ought to go tear into an umpire and get himself run from games and i don't know that we see that enough from from charlie montoyo at times the Jays as a collective get rung a lot. And Montoyo, to his credit, did get tossed on the weekend, although that was really, yeah, you're you know, right. he's out there. Manoa, you know, had uh, had some words at that point. And, and Charlie wants to get out in between Manoa and the umpiring crew. And they tossed him quick. I think that was a call-up umpire at first base, really trying to make his uh, statement on the game known. But, you know, to go back to Guillermo for a second, if that's what he said, if he said, you know, you missed 26 calls, love that. It's a great line. And it's true. And the umpires deserve some criticism for that. I tend to think that if you're saying to an umpire in that context, you missed 26 calls, like there's a good chance you're going to get tossed. He came with facts. <laughs> he did. He came he with did. stats. He presented evidence for his claim. <laughs> yes, he, he certainly did. Clearly, the umpiring crew was not happy with whatever was said there. But then the Jays, to their credit, and I know you wrote about this at sportsnet.ca, then they rebound. Then it's like, okay, they have a better approach. And Espinal is part of that and setting a tone at a time that Springer is out. So you really do have a group offensively here that with that composure, with some big swings that we're seeing, Teoscar Hernandez finally looking like himself, like this guy looks like the silver slugger winner right now, hitting big home runs, enjoying them, flipping his bat. This offense is rounding into form. Yeah, absolutely. It's pretty incredible that you take George Springer out of that lineup on Wednesday. Um, and he had been like, you know, slumping as well as he's battled through this elbow thing that he's dealing with. And it's, you don't miss a beat, right? And George Springer's been such a tone setter for the lineup atop of it and has really been having, like, honestly, an all star year, like a really, really strong campaign until he's run into this little injury bit. Kind of speaks to your point about the depth of this lineup that you, you take him out of it. And it's like Santiago Espinal moves up top and Alejandro Kirk's bat and cleanup and you're not missing a beat because you just have so many offensive contributors and you're firing on all cylinders right now. It's going to be interesting what happens to Springer going forward. Like, like I mentioned, he's been carrying the elbow injury for a little bit. You could see it in his numbers coming into the Chicago series. He was two for 26, something along those lines. You could really see it against Dylan Cease. Springer swung and missed eight times against Cease. And like Cease was on, <laughs> absolutely his stuff was nasty. Like the slider was moving all over the place. He had a great approach. Dial up the pitch chart from that start of Cease. And it's like nothing inner half to these right-handed Blue Jays hitters, right? It's everything away. And his slider was nasty. But we saw Springer like swinging and missing on some pitches that were on the plate. They weren't even just ones that tailed off of it, right? And like, you just don't see that from Springer that often, right? Like, he's such a good hitter. The elbow thing was clearly bothering him. So I think there's cautious optimism that it's not super serious 
from the Blue Jays. We're going to find out more on Friday. We'll get an update there. Springer did have an MRI on on Wednesday, and you know the Blue Jays have the results of that right now. They haven't made anything public yet, but I know there was cautious optimism that it'll be okay. But there are further implications beyond just Springer, right? Because the Blue Jays, for a while now, like I think they would have preferred to actually have Zach Collins on their roster through the Chicago series. The Blue Jays want to get back to that three catcher look as much as Collins even is like a catcher, but he'll catch a bit. He caught Yusei Kikuchi's bullpen here in Chicago, and I bet you that means he's going to catch Yusei Kikuchi in Milwaukee as well. They want Collins on this roster so they can have Moreno and Kirk both in the lineup at the same time. That's your best offensive deployment is both those guys in there. That's why you saw Gabriel Moreno pinch hitting in extras on Tuesday, putting the Blue Jays in a bit of a dicey position defensively because they were like, look, we got to go for it here. We got to put our best bats in there and try to put our best offense out there and score a bunch of runs because we're on the road. So in extras, you got to play for two at least. Uh, And that's why Otto Lopez ended up playing the center field in that game. If Springer isn't going to be reliably in center field for you, either because it's, you know, he's getting days off or because he's on the IL. Well, you know, Otto Lopez sort of has to be on the roster because the Blue Jays trust him defensively in center more than they trust Rymel Tapia right now. But if Springer is healthy and he's good to go, then I would imagine Zach Collins is coming onto this roster for Otto Lopez. So that the Blue Jays free themselves up to have Moreno and Kirk in the lineup at the same time. So it's interesting some of the roster implications here i think one way or the other collins is going to be on this roster on the weekend it's just kind of what form it takes yeah very interesting and a lot of connecting pieces there as you're really outlining and to me this would be a little simpler maybe a lot simpler if rimal tapia was hitting better and playing better defense however he has been unreliable as a defender and i don't think you even feel that great about him in a corner at this point let alone center field and then offensively i mean this was a spot and they took a shot on him they wanted a lefty bat who could kind of fit in that spot as a fourth outfielder potential um, semi-regular on this team just hasn't worked out and i know he's hitting better and he's had some of his best offensive stretches in the last few weeks but you know certainly defensively this poses some questions and creates some limitations for this team because as you say i mean it's what are you going to do if springer is out for an extended stretch you know even if it's five six games what do you do and probably tapia figures in at that point but far from ideal and so i think as the jays are looking around at the deadline most of their energy has to be directed toward pitching i think that's that's pretty clear at this point but there's still a need you know if you could get is it a tyler naquin someone who can bat left and play a little bit of center field naquin you know certainly on the radar of buying teams and someone who i'm told is viewed more of a average center fielder than than plus but could be someone who can fill that type of void understanding that offense is not really the Jays problem right now but you still have to make the pieces fit defensively and as you're saying there Arden everything connects to one another especially when you're dealing with a relatively short bench of just four guys yeah I think Daquan's such a good fit for this club yeah and we've been over the names before right Ben Gamble and you know Ben Intendi um was it last week or two weeks ago where I was saying the the Jays should try to blow the Mariners away for Jesse Winker, right? That's you know, it's maybe a little pie in the sky, but it goes back to your point, you know, in the first half of this podcast, the Blue Jays need to be bold <laughs> and they need to make sure they're in the postseason and they have a really strong roster in the postseason to try to win because it's a really good point you made. Like this young core for you know, having Kirk and Guerrero and, and Bichette and Moreno all here and performing, like clock is ticking on them yeah right and like that's where your 
you know, quote unquote, surplus value sort of comes on the roster, which then aligns with veterans in their prime who you're paying big money to and like a Gosman and, and a Springer and, you know, a guy, a Brios. So like it's go time, it's win time. You have to be bold and like whether that's like making big moves on, on the trade market, whether that's shaking things up internally. I mean, like you have to make those big decisions now. Like you're just, that's the position that you're in. So go to the Mariners and say, hey, what would it take to get Jesse Winker? Would you even consider trading him right now? Yeah, identify other individuals throughout. Like, we don't just have to look at the non-contending clubs and say, okay, who is their left-handed outfielder who's a pending free agent? Like, you can look at players with control and you can look at giving up minor league prospects, like really good ones, to try to get really good players with control like that's the price you have to pay but we saw the blue jays do it last season with jose barrios and i don't think there's any reason why they shouldn't be pursuing those like sort of big bold opportunities again this uh this trade deadline that's right you can trade prospects you can trade jordan groshans you can trade nate pearson if the if the buyer is out there who values him uh appropriately you know look the best case scenario is the blue jays have some guys step up internally. So, you know, you have Rymel Tapia continue to hit. You have Kevin Biggio continue to produce. And then there's your answer. Those guys are your lefty compliments. You've got seven or eight absolutely solid to well above average bats from the right side. You're in a great spot offensively. You're good to go. But if things go in different directions, you might have to be open-minded to, I don't think it's Moreno. I don't think it's Kirk, but Danny Jansen. I think you have to be potentially open-minded there because this is a team that has three very good catchers on it. And that's an area of organizational depth and it has never been stronger and you don't have to force anything. You really don't, but I think you can be open-minded there. Even now that Moreno is a big leaguer, would you say like the top prospect in your system right now is Elvis Martinez? Yeah. Yeah, I think you're open-minded to moving him as well. Oh, yeah. I think you absolutely have to be. Look, we've seen the Blue Jays trade their last two first-round picks, Gunnar Hoagland and Austin Martin. Like, they've been willing to pull the trigger on those deals. And look, when they really like a prospect and they really think that a guy is going to be a legit big league contributor, they tend to hang on to him, right? Like, we haven't seen Moreno moved, didn't see Kirk get moved, you know, Bichette, Guerrero, et cetera. Like they, you know, they've, they've hung on to the guys that they really believe in. But if there is a, a prospect in your system that you have any shred of doubt about going forward, and I think that was the case with both of Simeon Woods Richardson and Austin Martin, and you see that their industry value is high right now, that's probably a guy that you can use to help make your current club better and trust your analysis and trust your internal projections and your systems and models that are telling you that yeah this this player might not be as productive of a big leaguer as the individual that we could trade for today yeah because i think you know even as the as the division drifts further away from the blue jays here man like there's no doubt these bats can can handle elite pitching and i know they faced a ton of it and they weren't quite as good in the early part of the season they still held their own they still were a winning team and kirk vlad Bo, teoscar lourdes like these guys can handle elite stuff so if you get to the playoffs and you go gosman manoa you trot that lineup out there the pieces are there the opportunity is still there on a huge scale for this team to actually seize this 
opportunity to beat the Yankees because the path will go through the Yankees. They have a lot of the ingredients in place, but it's more how do you finesse some things around the edges with the bullpen, maybe with the starting rotation to take advantage of this lineup that now we're seeing it. This lineup is so good and I think probably only going to get better as the season progresses because they are incredibly deep, incredibly tough to pitch to, and we're seeing those results on a consistent basis now from this offense. Yeah, and the building blocks are there, and the time is now. Yeah. Right? You don't give George Springer six years $150 million and Kevin Gosman six years 110 and Jose Barrios seven years 130 to be like, ah, today, eh, I guess this just isn't our year. <laughs> we'll try to build better next year. Yeah. Like the time is now, right? And look, the Blue Jays are still, I don't have it in front of me, but I would say, what, 10 games over 500, something like that. They're in a good position. There's an expanded postseason. Like, yes, it's it's tough. The, the hand you've been dealt with the Yankees being like literally historically good. Uh, but the, the Blue Jays, by, by all means, should be a playoff team like by all means should be like like not just sneaking in with like the third wild card like should be really the the first wild card team in mlb's postseason this year they have that talent and they should do everything they can to put themselves in a position to be as strong as possible over the final again i don't have it in front of me but probably 95 games or so so like that can start now with grabbing two guys off waivers from the seattle mariners who can like help you in your bullpen creating a trade there that can continue by looking for trade possibilities before the trade deadline and in early july i mean that can continue with being aggressive with promoting individuals from your minor league system as we saw already with moreno and and we could see again i mean that could be like yeah changes internally that could be like changes to you know people around your players and how you do things on a day-to-day basis like the time is now to kind of make bold decisions and to really do everything you can to invest in this group and to give it the best possible chance of being successful and so i think there's big levers the blue jays could pull and i think there's a very good chance we could see them pull them That's right. And when that Mariners-Blue Jays trade is announced, remember, you heard it here first on At The Letters, Arden. (laughs) (laughs) Safe travels to Milwaukee. I know you've got a trip ahead of you here, uh, more coverage. So we'll be looking for that at sportsnet.ca. And of course, on Sportsnet this weekend. Thanks so much to you. Thanks also to our producers, Mike Rogerson and Nick Andrade. And as always, thanks to Miller Lite, the original light beer. We will be back next week with more Blue Jays talk, analysis, and trade speculation. Until then, thanks for listening to At The Letters.